Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm so excited to be back in the studio with you again today. Well, today we're going to be talking about a topic that we've talked about many times on the show, but we're going to be taking it in a little bit of a different direction. We're going to be talking about evolution, but I'm going to be diving into the concept of natural selection, what that means, what it is, what it isn't, and why it isn't what evolution really says it is, why it can't do what evolution claims it can. It'll be an incredible show, and I think that you're going to learn a lot from today's show. It'll be exciting, so definitely stay tuned. All of this started because last week I had a couple conversations. One was a conversation with a couple atheists, and another was a conversation with a Satanist. And all three people, separate from each other, at least the two atheists and the Satanists were separate, said evolution is a fact. Evolution is a fact. And I said, no, it's not. It's not a fact. They said, of course it's a fact. It is a fact. We read that all the time. We see science articles with that on it all the time, with that kind of statement that it's a fact. I've heard that for many years, and it absolutely drives me bonkers. I mean, scientists don't even call things like quantum mechanics a fact. And so when we see evolutionists uh, yelling for attention, claiming it's a fact, no matter what, even we see in that a little bit of a lack of certainty, I believe, there is an absolute demand to be considered fact without the willingness to offer this as, as something of a scientific theory that still needs to be evidenced. And so when we hear things like this, I think as creationists, we are tempted to respond. And I want you to be able to respond correctly to the statement that evolution is a fact. So as we get started, I want to say, no, it's not a fact. In fact, it's a lot more like fake news than a fact. You could say that evolution is one of the biggest fake news examples in all of history. Now, the reason for that, a lot of people ask me, if evolution isn't true, then why is it persisted? Why do we still believe it? Why is it taught globally in all the schools? Well, of course, there's a good answer for that. If someone is pre-committed to atheism, if someone has a presupposition of naturalism, if they believe that the material universe around us is all there is, then they have to have a theory of how this came to be that doesn't include a creator. Now, if that's their starting point, their only option is evolution. They don't go there because the evidence says go there. They go there because that's the only place to go. There's no other option. In fact, skeptics do this often. When considering the incredible evidence for the resurrection, the top critic of the New Testament today simply says, well, I don't care how good the evidence for the resurrection is. I know it didn't happen because resurrections don't happen. And if resurrections don't happen, it doesn't matter how good the evidence is. It didn't happen. Well, that's exactly what philosophers call begging the question. It's having an assumption and then disregarding the evidence and ending with the conclusion of your own assumption. 
And that's what they do to get out of the evidence for the resurrection. And that's, again, what they do with evolution. If I've assumed there is no God, then regardless of the evidence, I'm going to come out with the conclusion that there is no God and that it happened naturalistically. If that's your assumption, that's going to be your outcome. Side issue here, many people have observed that as creationists, as Christians, we have a less constricted bias than skeptics and evolutionists and atheists do. See, the atheist can only accept natural explanations. So they have a narrow bias of naturalism and naturalism alone. And interestingly, there's nothing within science that can prove naturalism, so they have an unfounded bias at that. We as Christians are perfectly comfortable with naturalistic answers. We believe in a God that created a natural universe with natural laws to govern it, and that he himself holds it all together according to his will, we read in Colossians 1. Now, a natural answer doesn't scare me because I believe in a God that created a natural universe with natural laws. But I also realize that there are times where naturalism can't provide an answer. And supernatural explanations are warranted. The beginning of the universe is a perfect example. The universe cannot create itself. It simply can't. You can't get something from nothing. I'll come back to that in a minute during this show. You don't want to miss that. It'll be important to catch. All that being said, though, a lot of times scientists come up with evolution precisely because they start with a presupposition of naturalism. They don't come up with evolution because the evidence leads them to that. Now, with the insecurity that mounts from not being able to show their theory in a laboratory, there is an eagerness to prove that it is a fact without doubt, and if you question it, you'll be kicked out of academia. So that's where we get this adamant, this adamant yelling of evolution as a fact. It's not scientific, but it is really emotional, and it is dogmatic. It is more religious than science. Now, I want to get into this. This is going to be an important show to really catch. There are lots of shows that talk about how evolution is a fact. You'll see this in popular TV shows all the time. You'll see it in popular news articles all the time. I googled it today, and I found several examples of evolution happening right now. Here are some of the examples. Bedbugs. They've evolved to be more active at night, to have thinner legs, and to have a resistance to pesticides. Stray dogs that have left human care are evolving to have more wolf-like traits, we're told. Uh, of course, we've all heard of the peppered moths example, that moths living around polluted areas begin to blend into their sooty surroundings, we're told in this article. And we've all heard that peppered moths example many times. Another one that you've probably heard is that bacteria are, quote, evolving to outsmart their antibiotics. This is something that we see all the time. Antibiotic resistance is an example of evolution happening in front of our faces. Another one is fish that have evolved, so to say, to not be susceptible to different pollutants in rivers and lakes. Finally, another couple examples a pest that thrives on one of our favorite foods is developing immunity to the toxins we use to keep it at bay, we're told. And finally, plants developed perfect bird perches to lure their potential pollinators. All these things are offered in this article as examples of evolution happening in front of our faces. It's a fact. You can't deny it. It happens in front of our faces. Well, actually, we should be very quick to notice it's not a fact at all. 
These are examples of what's called natural selection. This is what creationists have always termed microevolution. Now, microevolution is what happens within the genes that an organism already has. And within their already existing genes, they can have shifts from one type of expression to another, maybe from one color to another, maybe from one size to another size, things like that. And those different shifts happen within the genes that are already there, but according to what will help the organism better adapt to its environment. And as the environment shifts within the genes that are already present in that species, the species can adapt to the shifting in the environment. Here's a very morbid example. If a dictator came to our area and said, I am going to kill everybody that does not have red hair, it'd be terrible, it'd be horrible, but quickly the population would shift from very few redheads to very many redheads. That wouldn't be evidence of evolution. It would just be evidence that redheads that had already existed became more able to thrive in the new environment as opposed to previous environments. There was an environmental shift that led to a genetic expression shift, but there was no real fundamental change in the species. There was no new feature that occurred. It was simply the accentuation of a feature that had already been there. Now, that's what we're seeing with all the examples that we just heard of in this article that I hinted at a minute ago. Uh, the bedbugs becoming more active at night, having thinner legs, and having a resistance to pesticides. Those aren't things that are evolving. It's simply the bedbugs that always had those traits have gone on to reproduce and multiply in today's environment, whereas the ones that did not have those traits didn't survive. So the species didn't evolve at all. It's just that there was a shift that favored certain members that had always been a part of the species. Or stray dogs that have left human care on our so-called evolving, more wolf-like traits. <laughs> There's nothing all that fancy with that. Wild animals become wild. Nothing too extraordinary about that. That's obviously not evolution. Moths and peppered moths. Well, of course, within moth populations, there are some that are going to be peppered, some that are going to have different features, and others that won't. And the ones with the features that blend in better are going to survive and multiply better. And so their population is going to be accentuated. That doesn't mean there's evolution happening. Those moths always existed before. Antibiotic-resistant bacteria is another example of natural selection. Also, fish that previously could not survive in different polluted waters that now can, a clear example of that as well. It's not that the fish are evolving an ability to survive. It's just the fish that had always possessed the traits that enabled them to survive are surviving and multiplying, while those that don't have those traits are dying. This is just natural selection. Finally, even the plants that supposedly evolved perches for birds to eat from them, obviously an example of plants that always had those features surviving, whereas the ones that didn't, didn't. And in fact, this article actually mentions that. It actually mentions that this is an example of natural selection. Now, here's where things get tricky. The evolutionist doesn't usually tell you this, but they are making natural selection a synonym of evolution. 
In other words, they're saying the two are one and the same. So if natural selection is happening, then evolution is true, and it's happening in front of our faces, they would have you believe. The fact is, they're very different things. Natural selection was proposed by Darwin as the mechanism for evolutionary change, but it isn't synonymous with it. Natural selection is something that you can observe in nature any day, anywhere you look, pretty much. It is a reality of the world that we live in. Evolution is not. Evolution is a lie. So microevolution is true in the sense that God has created species to be able to adapt to their environments by growing shorter or longer beaks or by having brighter or duller colors or by having dirtier or cleaner looking wings, etc., etc., etc. God has pre-programmed his creation for survival. This is evidence of ingenuity on the creator's part. It is not evidence of what we have called macroevolution. Now, of course, when you talk to an evolutionist, they're going to say, well, you can't just call it micro and macroevolution. It's one. Or it's, it's one. It's not two different things. Well, of course, they would like you to believe that because then if micro were true, macro would be too. Of course, they want to lump them together and say there's just one. Of course, they want to point the finger at us when we say these are two separate things. But there has to be an actual difference here because there really is in nature. All the time we see micro changes within a genome. We never see macro changes beyond the genome. And so to conflate the two is actually quite a big problem. I said a minute ago that evolutionists try to make evolution a synonym of natural selection or vice versa. They call the two the same. And if we prove natural selection, there you go. We've proved evolution and it's happening in front of your face. That's absolute nonsense. But it is a dirty trick that skeptics and atheists will do very often. I want to read you a little quote from Michael Shermer, okay? Uh, this is Michael Shermer in an article called Much Ado About Nothing. And in this article, he tries to redefine nothing for us. See, for the universe to exist, it had to come from something. And in fact, science has proven that it began a finite time ago. So there has to be an explanation for it. I love what Ravi says about the supposed Big Bang. He says, why don't we ask the same questions about the Big Bang that we ask about any other bang? <laughs> well, what made it happen? Where did it come from? Why did it happen? All these types of questions. I love his humor in it, but it makes an incredible point. Science has confirmed that there was a beginning a finite time ago, and it can't just happen on its own. This is evidence of creation, not a naturalistic Big Bang. What we hear, though, from the skeptics is an adamant refusal to believe what science tells us is true. Science tells us that you can't get something from nothing. It's actually called the first law of thermodynamics. And science is clear on that. But we know that that happened, and that implies a supernatural beginning to the universe. But to get out of this, the scientist tries to tell you, I should be careful here not to say the scientist, because... True scientists won't do this, but the ideologically motivated skeptic will tell you that nothing isn't really nothing and that we can get something from nothing if we just change the definition of nothing. So Shermer says, well, nothing isn't really nothing. He says, we could define nothing as the vacuum of space that consists of subatomic space-time turbulence and extremely small distances measurable at the Planck scale. 
and uh, the length at which the structure of space-time is dominated by quantum gravity. And he says at this scale, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle allows energy, which he's again assuming that energy exists. That's obviously not nothing, right? That energy could briefly decay into particles and antiparticles, thereby producing something from nothing. (laughs) In other words, if we have energy and space and natural laws and gravity and all these different things, then we can get something from nothing. The problem with Shermer is all that stuff that he just called nothing, it isn't nothing. In fact, Einstein was very clear that energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. In other words, energy and mass are fundamentally kind of the same thing. So if you have energy, you you have something. You don't have nothing. So a lot of times what the skeptic will do is they'll change definitions on us, try to get us to agree with one definition, and then try to prove their point by the definition, not by the evidence. Actually, philosophy calls that a tautology. And that's what a lot of skeptics end up doing quite often to try and trick us. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I believe it's an actual concerted effort to convince people of something that they even know themselves is not true. They try to tell us something is a fact not by proving it's a fact, but by swapping it with another word and then proving the other word and saying, well, if we can prove one, then the other's true too. And so it's a fact without showing us the evidence. So I want to get away from all this uh, going back and forth about definitions and statements and quotes and all this sort of stuff. And I want to talk about what natural selection is and what natural selection isn't, because I think a lot of people are confused on that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Today we're talking about natural selection and the atheist's statement that evolution is a fact. Evolution is not a fact. It's a lie. It's actually fake news. And it is not the same thing as natural selection. I've talked about how evolutionists often equate evolution with natural selection, then prove natural selection, and thereby want us to believe that evolution as well is a fact. Natural selection surely is an evolution. Let me explain a little bit about what natural selection is before we go any further. So suppose you have a brown room. And in this brown room, you have brown walls and brown trim and brown carpet and brown furniture and brown everything, brown blinds on the windows. Everything in the room is brown. Now, let's say you introduce a population of mice into the room. Let's say this population is 90% white and only about 10% brown. So it's mostly a population of white mice with a few brown mice in there as well. Now, the brown mice and the white mice are all mice. They're all the same species. They're all the same critters, but they have some different colors, just like humans have different colors and dogs have different colors and many different species have members with different colors. Now, in that brown room, the species continues to be 90% white and 10% brown until the environment changes. Now, let's suppose we put a cat in that room. Now the cat is free to catch all the mice he can to eat. Which mice is the cat going to find first? He's going to find the white mice, of course, because they stand out in the brown room, whereas the brown mice can blend in. Well, in that environment, the predator, the cat, quickly creates a situation in which the population of mice goes from 90% white 
to very close to 100% brown. There's a shift in the color of mice. There's no evolution. There's no genetic change. There's no new genetic feature that appears. It's simply the environment selected for the brown mice over the white mice. That's natural selection, and it's a fact that happens all around us. That's very different than evolution the way we're taught to believe evolution in schools today. Interestingly, this concept of natural selection didn't come from Darwin. It came from Edward Blythe. He was the first one to propose it. Of course, a lot of creationists will remind us that he was a creationist. We got to be careful here because at that point there was no real evolutionary theory, so it's not like he had a lot to choose from. But let's do be fair. He wasn't an evolutionist. I don't believe he was an atheist either. I've seen some quotes of his that included references to the creator. But what he explained was this natural selection, which is adaptation within a genome that already exists. What Darwin did is Darwin took that view and tried to make that the mechanism by which evolution could happen, proposing that there could be mutational changes that would then be preserved by natural selection. Now, if it were possible to have mutational changes that gave new novel information to a species that would benefit it, that could be preserved through natural selection, that would produce a mechanism for evolution. There's just one snag. That doesn't happen. Mutations do happen. They're almost always bad. Some good mutations do happen. It's not true that good mutations don't happen. There are beneficial mutations. But what those mutations always are, are taking away from something that already existed, not adding new information. So you might have something taken away from a genome that allows it to better thrive in a new environment, and that trait could be passed on to offspring, but that's not evolution. That's taking away something that already existed. It's not adding something new. For evolution to happen, you would have to have positive mutations that actually increased new novel genetic information in the species, gave it something new that it didn't have before, and then that new thing would have to be passed on to its offspring. And that's where the snag is. That does not happen. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. I would encourage you to read a great book on this called The Edge of Evolution by Michael Behe. Now, I want to make a little note and warn you. Michael Behe is, at least in this book, he claims to be a theistic evolutionist in the sense that he believes that evolution was pushed along by God. And I think that that is way off. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the creator of the universe and that he created things with precision and accuracy. They are not a product of evolution. Now, that being said, as a theistic evolutionist, Behe also notices that natural processes cannot produce evolution. And that's what the book focuses on. So in that regard, he has a lot of good work here. Just be a little bit careful of his theology. He tells us in this book that by looking at decades of malarial resistance and HIV mutations, we can mathematically quantify the potential for Darwinian forces in nature. And he tells us not only are they not able to produce new genetic information, they're not even able to produce 
new protein-protein interactions in cells. This is absolutely crushing for the theory of evolution and for the theory of evolution by gradual mutations. Uh, But that's nothing new. I want to read you a pretty old quote now. It's over 30 years old, but it's absolutely important today just as much as it was 30 years ago. Stephen Jay Gould, one of the greatest evolutionists since Darwin, said that this view of evolution by gradual mutation is, quote, effectively dead despite its persistence as textbook orthodoxy. And he didn't say that in some interview. He said it in a peer-reviewed journal, Paleobiology. And, of course, he wasn't saying this to affirm creation. He was saying it to build up his own theory of punctuated equilibrium. But the quote tells us a whole lot. It tells us that the view of positive mutations leading to gradual evolution over time through the process of natural selection does not happen. He was willing to say it back then, and it's just as true today. So natural selection is a fact. Organisms and species do adapt to their environment within the genes that God has already given them. They do not, however, acquire new and novel genetic information and features that then gets passed on to offspring the way evolution would believe it happens. What you need to take away from this is when you see articles that say things like evolution is a fact, you can know that's false. It's not true. They're making natural selection and evolution synonyms, showing us that natural selection happens, which of course it does, and then saying, by default, therefore, evolution must as well. What we can know for certain is that natural selection does not equal evolution. And just because natural selection is happening, like in all those articles I shared with you, that surely doesn't mean evolution is happening. Listen, evolution is a lie. The transitionary evidence for evolution is non-existent. Even Stephen Jay Gould, again, called that the trade secret of paleontology. Everything on the ape to human spectrum is either ape or human. There's nothing truly transitionary. Richard Leakey even admitted that, saying there's nothing to truthfully purport as a transitional species to man. You know, going beyond the transitionary evidence, the mechanism, we talked about that today, is insufficient. Natural selection does not produce macro evolution, only micro changes. Beyond the mechanism, we know that life doesn't come from non-life, something that would have to happen if evolution were true, but it doesn't happen. Molecules don't turn into life on their own, and that's a fact. Statistically, it's impossible. Now, even if we could get molecules to form themselves in RNA and DNA, there'd be no information for life. The existence of information is naturalistically inexplicable. And finally, so is the start of the universe. The beginning of this all does not have a natural explanation. No matter how you cut it, evolution is a lie, and we are here because a creator put us here. And that's the truth that some of you listening right now need to hear. You're not an accident. You're not here as a product of blind forces and natural laws. You're here because there's a creator that put you here and he loves you and he desires to have a relationship with you. If you've never taken a step to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, I want to ask you to do that right now and to tell him that. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me eternal life. Today I ask you to be my Savior 
and my Lord. If you took that step today to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Bible is very clear that you've been adopted into God's family, and you can look forward to an eternity with him in heaven and a life of meaning and purpose here on this planet. And if you already do know Jesus, I encourage you to be sharing your faith with others. I also want to encourage you with this. When people bring up evolution, be careful. Don't just bulldoze them with the facts. Engage them in conversation. Get to know them. Share the evidence with them. Share that there is evidence for a creator, and there is evidence that evolution is a lie. But be careful, too, to make sure that you keep your conversation loving and that you keep it Christ-focused, not evolution or creation-focused. Keep the focus on Christ and the gospel, because that's what they need to hear. Well, whoever you are, I hope that you'll go to godsolutionshow.com and check out this message. It'll be posted soon, and all of our previous messages as well. We have nearly 400 MP3s up that have all sorts of interviews with some of the leading apologists alive and tons of evidence for your faith. Please, please, please sharpen up on your apologetics and get to know the evidence for what you believe. Well, I'm so glad that you tuned in today. Hope you will again next week. And until then, remember that an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.